everybody. Good morning and happy new year. We did it. <laughs> We're here and thank God for a new breath, for the life that we have today, for a new opportunity. I don't know about you if you're, is anybody into New Year's resolutions around? We got a couple, a couple iffies, a couple full out hands in the air. I am not really, and, and mostly I think it's because I just don't like failing at things. <laughs> and if I set a New Year's resolution, I'm, I'm apt to either forget about it or fail. So, you know, nonetheless, I, and the other thing about uh, New Year's resolutions is I remember in Monroe, I would often be annoyed around this time of year because I would go in the mornings to park at the YMCA and take a walk. And around this time, everybody goes to the Y, and my parking spot was gone. <laughs> and so, you know, the New Year's thing, it gets us going, but it's hard to keep going. But the thing about God is I believe he has a thing for newness. I think the vision that we read together from John, uh, John's words from Revelation 21, it says, he saw the new earth the beautifully remade holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And God was thrilled to be dwelling with his people. Don't we cling to those words? Don't you want to hold on to that? And hold on to these words. We will be his people and he, God himself, will be with us and be our God. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no crying or pain for the old order has passed away and God himself proclaimed, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. Amen? Amen. Amen. God is in the business of renewing all things. So I think this turning of the calendar, it's kind of a glimpse into God's kingdom. It's an opportunity for us to be a part of God's renewing all things in renewal of our habits, renewal of our rhythms, renewal of our relationships, having hope that God can and will make us new. So I hope that, that some of you might join us on Saturday for our retreat. We're going to be doing just that, uh, setting aside a couple of hours together and a couple of hours alone with God to renew ourselves in God's spirit. And if we want to talk about renewal of habits, let's dig into Matthew 7, which Ariel just read for us, where Jesus' epic Sermon on the Mount doesn't pull punches. Listen to this. <gasps> oh, no. <clears throat> oh. Okay. Think thin. <gasps> Step light, you are a feather, a 2,000 pound feather. Huh? Slow. Oh. Huh? Mm -hmm. 
Ferdinand, a movie that I realize I've never seen, but <laughs> I need to remedy that. Uh, what does this have to do with Matthew 7 and the Sermon on the Mount? Do you see it? No? Okay. So we're going we're gonna to read again Matthew 7, Jesus' words here. Do not judge. This is that, on that next slide, Tommy. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye and do not notice the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. So I don't know about you, but... I love this over-the-top uh, word picture that Jesus paints for us here in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, who of us would be so dim-witted as to not notice a giant piece of wood sticking out of your face? That is ridiculous. And of, of course we would. But let's just say for whatever reason, we've gotten used to the giant piece of wood sticking out of our face, our face log, if you will, and we just stopped noticing it. Would we really then have the gall to go over and try to help some dude with a speck in their eye? Can you imagine how much damage we would cause with the wood plank sticking out of our face? How much damage we would cause with our helping like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> yes. So this section of the Sermon on the Mount is a subtle turn. It's not so subtle from the previous sections of the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's actually as subtle as Ferdinand in the china shop, I think is about as subtle as Jesus is. N.T. Wright actually describes the final section, chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, as a set of warning signs. He takes this abrupt break of the tone from his previous preaching in, in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, and we go from blessed are the meek, and this then is how you should pray, and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, and when you fast, to don't judge, you hypocrite, or else. <laughs> it, I think Jesus is thinking, i got to take this hard left turn so they don't miss this. We've got to catch this warning. For, it's for our own good and the good of those around us. So again, in N.T. Wright, he has this series called The Bible for Everyone. It's a book of every book of the Bible. It's a Bible study. And in, in his series on Matthew, he asks the question, what warning or warning signs do you wish you had taken heed of? So right away, as I heard that question myself, I wished I had heeded the warning on Plank Road that said the speed limit is 45 miles an hour, not whatever speed I was going, 
which caused me to have to pay a speeding ticket. I, I also wish that I had obeyed my mom and heeded her warning when she told me, don't ride your friend's bike. I was six years old and I wanted to live life my way and so I rode that bike that was way too big for me and I tried to pop a wheelie and I'm not really a pop a wheelie kind of a girl. <laughs> And so I'm on a big bike, and I pop a wheelie, but really I just hit the bump that I'm trying to pop over, and I fly headfirst over the handlebars, arms behind me, face first into the concrete, and knock three front teeth out long before their time. My poor little, <laughs> my poor little kindergarten picture, I mean, it's like the only one where I'm not big grin because I've got a swollen lip and the nose, and it's just, it was a mess. I wish I had heeded my mom's warning to not ride my friend's bike. <laughs> what about you? Take a minute right now and share with a, the person beside you, what is a warning that you had wished you had heeded? And if you're online, type it in the text box and let us know what is a warning or a warning sign you wish you had heeded. So in the message, the message paraphrase of Matthew chapter 7, he puts it this way. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of becoming, of, being, of boomeranging. I didn't know that could be a verb. Boom, boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your face is contorted, distorted by contempt? Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be able to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. <laughs> right? <laughs> that just, that strikes a little too close to home. And I know none of us likes to be judged, right? So we're not going to judge others because we don't like to be judged. And I know, we know, our culture is very anti-judging, right? The you do you and don't judge me and all this permissive behavior. I don't think Jesus is quite swinging to that extreme where he's like, yeah, just do whatever you want. I, I actually think Mother Teresa was on to something when she said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. So the thing Jesus is really getting at here is the heart, the motivation behind our judging. Because the odds are, if we're judging someone, we're not being a humble, compassionate friend. We're, we're probably not loving them well if we're spending our time pointing out their flaws. Contemporary pastor Carrie Newoff summarizes it well this way. He says, if I'm judging someone, I'm not loving them. You can't judge someone and love someone at the same time. You can't judge them and love them at the same time. And we know Jesus is all about love, right? That's the core message of the gospel. That's why Jesus came. We sang those words on Christmas Eve, his law is love. That's where 
the title for this came from. His law is love from O Holy Night because that's what Jesus is all about. Jesus didn't throw out the law. He came to fulfill it, to give us a more perfect understanding of what adherence to the law looks like. Because in our human nature, or at least in mine, our tendency is to look at a big long list of rules and then try to make sure that everyone around you is adhering to the list of rules, right? We take it upon ourselves to make sure that everyone is obeying the rules. I mean, if you want an example, think of a group of kindergartners. Have you ever watched a number of five or six-year-olds playing together? Inevitably, one of them takes it upon themselves to tattle on their friend who is not obeying the rules. And maybe it's just me, because that was what I was like as a five-year-old. <laughs> but I noticed that, and I have learned to change my behavior. And now I'm a grown-up. And I am able to control that knee-jerk reaction. And instead, we just have the thoughts in our heads, right? I just keep, I just keep it to myself when someone's not obeying the rules. <laughs> We're much better than kindergartners, right? We ruminate on what they should be doing. Jesus knows we're missing the point. And he knew his friends were missing the point. They were missing the point of all of those laws. Books, pages, scrolls, I should say, line after line of Levitical laws. And in John 13, 34, a couple gospels later, Jesus narrows in on love when he tells his followers this. I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. And then later in this same gospel, according to Matthew, that we're in right now, chapter 22, Jesus boils down the scrolls of Levitical laws when he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the law is love. Love God, love all people. Sound familiar? Love God, love all people. So in the birth of Jesus, I love the story, the, the narrative of Jesus' life where he Love itself, love divine, becomes a human being, puts on skin, and demonstrates for us what fulfilling the law is really all about. Jesus came to demonstrate the law of love, because we're missing the point. <laughs> so let's consider first what we're not doing when we're judging each other. When we're judging someone, when I'm judging someone, I'm not loving them. I'm not praying for them. I'm not acknowledging my own sins. I'm not trying to come alongside them and help them. Nope. <laughs> and here's the point. Ignoring our own sins 
while becoming fixated on the sins of others, violates the law of love. Ignoring our own sins while becoming fixated on the sins of others violates the law of love, which is love God, love all people. Now, I bet if I asked you to turn to your neighbor and share someone else's sin with them, (laughs) I bet you could probably do that. I'm not going to ask you to. I won't ask you to turn to your neighbor, but I do want you to think about it. Who comes to mind? Whose unhealthy patterns are you aware of? Whose destructive habits are you fixated on? I know I could tell you, and I bet you could tell me why you're fixated on it and why they need to change, because clearly we can see that that person's sin is harming them and harming other people. And we might be right, because that's the nature of sin. But why am I, why are we fixated on their sin instead of my sin, instead of our own sin? How clearly can I really see if I've got a log sticking out of my face? (laughs) How much concern can I show for someone if I'm running at them with a plank like a bull in in the china shop? We're doing more harm than good. We're doing more harm than good. And from most of the statistics I've read over the years, this is why most people cite they're leaving the church because they're judgmental. Because we're fixated on their sin instead of our own, (laughs) instead of living out the love of God. In James chapter 4, 4, 11 through 12, James writes, Brothers and sisters, Don't say evil things about each other. Whoever insults or criticizes a brother or sister insults and criticizes the law. If you find fault with the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge over it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and he is able to save and to destroy. But you who judge your neighbor, who are you? Who are you? Who do we think we are? (laughs) In my notes here on, uh, in the Wesley Study Bible, this is the Christian English, no, it's not Christian. Uh, Yes, oh shoot. What is this version of the Bible? The Common English Bible, that is right. C-E-B, in the Wesley Study Bible notes, it says, assuming for ourselves, and this is the quote that's in your handout. I put it there because it was so good. Assuming for ourselves the role of judge over others, we sit in the seat reserved for God alone and transgress the law by slandering others. This is nothing less than arrogance at work. Ouch. (laughs) When we're judging others, We're sitting in the seat reserved for God alone. Who do I think I am? Is is there another option? Is there a better way? 
How, how can I obey the law? And this is where we teeter back and forth between judging others and becoming fixated on doing all the right things. And we've missed the more excellent way. We've missed love. But how do we live out the law of love? Well, to obey the law of love means living in a constant state of repentance and compassion. Repentance and compassion. Now, first I just said confession, but Kevin and I were talking through that, and, and he was noting that confession is that first step of acknowledging your sin, but repentance is really what we're looking for. Repentance is the turning from turning away from, to go a new direction, to take a look at my own sin, confess those to God, and to turn and go another way. And compassion is that new direction. Compassion shows sincere care and concern for the suffering of others. Compassion is what flows out of ourselves after we have encountered the compassion of God. We, it's like 2 Corinthians, we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We can love others with the love we ourselves have received from God. That's exactly what Deshaun was saying. When we have been loved by God, we can love others. So maybe you know some of the words from 1 Corinthians 13, that famous love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. But we often take those out of context and we just think, well, that sounds nice, that's good. But what is it referring to? Well, Paul, before this, just a couple of verses before, is describing the body of Christ and all the various gifts we have to offer each other. He talks about uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, gifts of power, gifts of healing, leadership, various forms of tongues. That's all really impressive gifts, right? And then he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. Like, that's all well and good. But it's nothing if you have not love. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels but do not have love, I am but a a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, if I hand over my body, but have not love, I gain nothing. And I put this in. If I judge someone who is clearly needing correction, but have not love, I am nothing. The law of love. It boils down to this. The the most excellent way is love. So let's compare the judgmental attitude to the compassionate one. The judgmental person focuses on what a person looks like with the log in their eye. So whatever the log is, oh my gosh, how can they be living that way? Don't they know what they're doing to their body? How can they stand to have people look at them that way? I mean, there's so many approaches to this. On the other hand, the compassionate person, I think, sees the log. It's not that we're oblivious to the, the log in someone else's eye, or even the speck. We're not, we're not avoiding the speck. 
Instead, we're considering their suffering. How much that must hurt. Are you in pain? Are you looking for relief? What have you tried so far? Has anything worked? Now, can't you tell when someone is talking with you and sharing advice out of judgment or out of love? I know that I can. I think of, of moms sharing advice with, with one another, especially when my kids are sick. And so I was thinking of, this example came to mind, and I have had those who offer maybe the same words of advice as the other person, but their attitude is different. If I don't take this advice, you're going to judge me. And, if, and you're offering this to me because you're trying to help. I remember a few weeks ago when Junia was sick and Francis was asking me, have you tried the wedge? Have you lift, elevated her? Have you tried the humidifier? Have you tried Vicks? Have you? And I was like, yeah, I did that, I did that. Oh, I didn't do that. And she let me borrow some of those things. And she wasn't judging me. She was offering compassion. And that's what a person who lives by the law of love does. Their motivation is compassion. They have experienced the compassion of God and they can't help but share it with others. So if there ever does come a time for rebuke, which in the body of Christ, we are to judge those inside the church, but not those outside. There's, there's all sorts of rules around that as well. But only if God is nudging you and even then, you need to make room for any number of responses, including total disregard for your words. Because what does the compassionate person do when someone doesn't listen, when someone doesn't take their advice? They love. They just keep loving. They give the gift without any expectation for how it will be used or how it will be received. They just keep loving. So what's next for us? I paraphrased these next steps. I wrote them in the first person. I didn't paraphrase. I phrased them in the first person so that you and I can take ownership of these next steps. So before, if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, before you fill in the blank, really consider, am I willing to put my name in this line? So, really simple first step. This week, I will begin by noticing each time I think a judgmental thought. Just notice. You might be surprised, you might be shocked and appalled by how often you have judgmental thoughts about other people. But noticing them and naming them, that's the first step in taking captive every thought, in, in stepping into the freedom from sin in living by the law of love. Perry Newoff again, he says, people run from people who judge them. That's why people run from the church. They run to people who love them. Think about it. That's what you do, he says. You run from people who judge you. God never asked you to judge the world. He asked you to love it. That's what Pastor Carey said. God never asked you to judge the world. He asked you to love it. And then if you're ready for something a little bit more than just noticing your judgment, maybe you can declare this. I will pray a blessing over the person in my mind. I will pray 
a blessing over the person in my mind. In that same article, Carrie Newoff says, judging someone and praying for someone are pretty much mutually exclusive. You can't pray for someone you judge because you're not actually for them. Sure, you can pray about them, <laughs> but again, your prayer won't be grounded in humility. It will be grounded in anger, in arrogance, in superiority, but it won't be grounded in love. You never truly pray for someone you judge. And then he says, conversely, if you want to stop judging someone, pray for them. It's possible, impossible, to judge someone and truly pray for them at the same time. So maybe you commit to praying a blessing over that person that your mind thinks to judge. That's taking the thought captive. And if you're ready for a little bit more, I'm going to invite you to connect, commit to 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to invite the worship team to come at this point while I encourage you to consider this 21 days. So we're starting tomorrow, which Francis said. We're exploring this very thing, the depths of God's love. That's our focus during these 21 days, to lean into confession and repentance. Yes, to let go of of things we've come to rely on, like foods or habits or meals, and to let God form, in, in, uh, form us into an expression of his vast love. Because again, once we've encountered God's love, we can live it out. So be sure you pick up one of those brochures in the lobby. They're a guide to focusing our prayers and scriptures in there. They're super helpful to navigating these 21 days together. Now, friends, Jesus loves you. Bring all your failures. Bring all your addictions. Come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting. God so loved the world. Let's sing about that this morning.